sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Happy Friday, November the 13th here on Fantasy Sports Today. As we get ready for the football weekend upcoming in college and pro football, we got a Thursday night game to talk about as well. Some news around the league in terms of Major League Baseball. MVPs are announced. And overall, Joe, a very big story today as the first ever woman general manager hired in professional sports to run a Major League Baseball team. Very interesting. We'll get into that. Joe Pizapia, Craig Mish. Two hours here on the show. We cover it all for you. Picks against the spread, DFS, season-long leagues, Mandalorian. <laughs> you, you, you ask for it, we cover it here on the show. I don't know what I missed. What did I miss? Look, Leonardo DiCaprio. We've got it all. Yeah, we full service. That's what we do here on Sports Grid, and especially on Fantasy Sports Today. We are a full-service sports entertainment program. And, yes, a huge historic day here for Major League Baseball for sports. Uh, with Kim Ng uh, becoming the new general manager of the Miami Marlins, the first female general manager in the history of baseball. And that is a, a great thing and uh, well-deserved. Someone who's been in the game for a very long time, been around front offices a very long time, has interviewed for other jobs before, and it's great that they've made this hire. So look at DJ and company over there in Miami still making news. I mean, really, the Marlins have kind of been the great newsmakers, I would say, of the 2020 baseball season. Would you agree? It, it seems that way, and and here I am in the thick of it, and it's like it, I'll I'll be honest with you, like this this story in particular, Joe, was one for people who who know me or don't know me that I I pretty much cover them on a daily basis, if not a weekly basis. However, often you can go see a baseball team in person now, and uh, and I didn't have this one, you know, like this is one that nobody had until they made the announcement literally five minutes before John Heyman reported it. I think what happened was they may have had. They may have told people, and then at that point, right before you make a release, that's what ended up happening. But this definitely caught me by surprise. Kim Ng was not one of the names uh, that I had heard initially. I was barking up the wrong tree. I thought maybe it would be somebody at Major League Baseball. Joe, I thought it would be Joe Torrey. That's who I thought maybe <laughs> it was going to end up being. But I'll tell you, the experience that Kim Ng has, and she has been part of championships. She has been a leader in a lot of different front offices. And honestly, I think that this is a long time coming and great for her, great for uh, all, I think, women across the world who can see that you can basically aspire to be whatever you want and accomplish that goal as well. So I think that's fantastic as well. Let's also not lose sight, Asian American too. So mm -hmm. I think it's just a great day for the game, a great day for baseball. Uh, clearly, we're also going to have to see how Kim Ng does running the Miami Marlins from a general manager point of view, because she will now be in the firing line as to making yeah. some key decisions or helping make some key decisions. Let me add on to that just a little bit though, Joe, uh, the Marlins basically with their hierarchy in terms of what they have with Bruce Sherman as the principal owner and Derek Jeter as the CEO and the owner and Gary Denbo, the vice president of player development, Joe, they already have their plan in place. So in terms of what Kimming is going to bring, she'll bring a fresh look, she'll bring checks and balances, and she'll be able to basically manage within the organization. But something that I also want to be perfectly clear on is while she ha will have a voice, it's a very much a collaborative effort here. So this isn't essentially like, let's use another example, Joe, Theo Epstein, right? Like mm -hmm. Theo Epstein 
is the president of baseball operations. The Marlins right now do not have a president of baseball operations. Hmm. Kimming is the general manager. So it's all of these people with a voice, all of these people in a room. They're all making the decision. And most importantly, I think from Miami's perspective is keep the train going on the, on the way that it's been going. Get yourselves back into postseason hunt. Get yourself back into respectability. And I think that from a baseball point of view, that is what I would convey today. I, I certainly think that Kim Ming is going to have great ideas, uh, have a lot of responsibility, and make a lot of decisions and help make a lot of decisions. But make no mistake about it, there are a lot of other people that are involved in this process that make those final decisions. And uh, in that way, that's where I believe, Joe, the Marlins are a lot different than other organizations and uh, like with John Mozeliak, who is the president of the Cardinals, or Theo Epstein, who's the president of the Cubs, or Brian Cashman, who is the, I believe, vice president general manager of the Yankees. I mean, there's a lot more power there than are, there is with one person in Miami, if that makes sense. Sure, it absolutely does. And I know, like, we, we spent a, uh, a lot of time breaking this down here, and, and it's going to be a huge story here. Um, obviously, it deserves a lot of attention uh, all the way across the board. And I think it's um, it, it's it's a great it's a great time it's great to see the shift going on here in sports we've talked about the nfl too we've seen some female coaches now recently uh female referees and i just think it's very exciting i got to tell my daughters before the show started hey guess what happened and they both went oh cool that's great and they don't really quite grasp what the general manager does but they think it's cool why because it's the first one and because it's something where they sense that it's also new and it's something that hasn't been around and it's another uh, opportunity sure. that's out there for them. And I think that is a very cool thing. All right. Here are our headlines real quick before we go to the break. Paul Casey, Dustin Johnson, Dylan Fratelli, all seven under after round one at the Masters. No Ivy League sports in the winter. Not a surprise there. Jose Abreu, bit of a surprise winning MVP. Also Freddie Freeman in the National League. The Colts, a very big win, resounding win over the Tennessee Titans, taking first place in that division. Boise State dominates on the Smurf turf last night. Even with 14 players out, they crush Colorado State. And how about this one, Joe? The Toronto Raptors are going to have some issues flying uh, players in and out of Canada. Um, quite frankly, I don't think they want to do it. They may play their season in Tampa Bay, Florida in 2020-2021. This is a month away, Joe. I hope they get this thing settled quickly. We're getting ready to start <laughs> Uh, you would hope so. Yeah, right around the corner from you in Tampa. <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, I mean, look, you do whatever you got to do. Uh, God, I love when he gets upset about that. Uh, but yeah, you do whatever you got to do to get the season going. And uh, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Right. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com. Coming up a little bit later in the show, Jim Sanis will join us. We'll go over the DFS slate for Week 10 in the NFL. In addition to that, Howard Bender joins me as we go over some of our picks in the Westgate Super Contest. An extremely tough week, I think, upcoming in the contest. A dangerous week, too. Got to try and get your 3-2 and two, uh, in for sure, no doubt. Uh, but let's focus in on last night's game, Joe. And... Uh, an entertaining game for basically three quarters. I, I think two, you know, good football teams facing off. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of you know how we called it yesterday. Is you know two good teams are going to play. I still think the Titans have a chance to win the division for sure. But it does appear, at least before we get into the fantasy side, Joe, 
that the Titans are a little bit overrated in terms of what their lines have been, in terms of how they've been respected, because that's a game clearly last night that they can win. But I think we always have to go back and remember just how one-dimensional the team is, because outside of Derrick Henry, if Tannehill doesn't have a really good game, they're going to lose and lose badly almost mm. every single time. And so while Tannehill's getting paid very highly, and he's done very well. And earlier in the year, he was talked about an MVP candidate. In this particular case, we have to circle this game because they went up against a good defense and struggled. So I just have to wonder if that happens again at some point. And again, I can't even pinpoint, Joe, the good defenses in the NFL anymore. But if I could, I'd few. be worried with Tennessee going up again. Like if Tennessee played Pittsburgh or if they played Baltimore, I don't think I could take them. No, well, look, I mean, we'll we'll cross those bridges when we get there. We already saw them hang with the Steelers and almost win a couple weeks ago. But um, one of the takeaways is probably going to get lost in the shuffle of this game is the defense did play much better yesterday. And Jadavian Clowney, I think, had his best game of the year. It's funny. He seems to turn it on as soon as you get into double-digit weeks. Same thing happened last year. Like, it was a non-presence. And all of a sudden, at the end of last year, like, oh, Jadavian Clowney making plays. And they were much more physical. You know, in the third quarter of this game, they had numerous stops on third down of this offense. But the Colts kept pushing through. They kept going for fourth downs. Then they had an incredible goal line stand. And that was a whole momentum switch. And you could feel like, oh, here we go. Tennessee is going to start to roll. And then... A terrible five minutes of special teams play that would just absolutely kill the Tennessee Titans. First, you had the miffed punt, right? And this is their third right. punter in the last couple of weeks. So they're having a ton of issues on special teams. Then you had the missed field goal and they had the block punt all within five minutes of each other. And you can't rebound from that. When all that bad stuff happens to a team in the game, you just can't come back. This is the eighth field goal missed by Steven Goskowski too. And I think at a certain point, we... We were remiss yesterday for not talking enough about the shortcomings of the special teams of the Tennessee Titans, specifically the kicking game. And I think that whenever you see a small line again with the Titans, I think you really have to consider that strongly because I don't know. They've been trying to fix these issues here with the punter, with the field goal kicker. They haven't been able to do it all year. It's haunted them in many a loss. I don't want to crush Tannehill too much because – Colts are a great defense and Derrick Henry. And, you know, that was the irony is Derrick Henry third quarter of that game started to be knocking over guys was running for 10 yards at a clip. And you start to go up. Oh, here we go. Second half Derrick Henry. And then the game got away from them in that five minute period. Next thing you know, the Colts are up by a ton game script changes and the Titans are uh, staring at a big fat L. Yeah. And, and look, the, the stats basically gave you more or less what you wanted from some of the bigger players in fantasy. But I would say also uh, from some perspective, disappointing, especially from the wide receiver position. You didn't really expect that from the Colts, but I think you did a little bit more on the side of the Titans. So let's take a look at the fantasy standouts from last night. Philip Rivers, 29 of 39, 308 passing yards and one touchdown. Look, Ryan Tannehill, the numbers don't look terrible here, but he had 99 yards going into that fourth quarter. 15 of 29, 147, and a touchdown. Uh, very clear at this point that uh, the Colts are going by committee. There's no question. I, and if this is not perfectly clear after last night to everyone out there, then you, you're just not watching football this year. It is not going to be one guy <laughs> in the uh, Hines was the guy last night. 12 carries, mm -hmm. 70 yards, five receptions, and 45 yards and two touchdowns. A lot of social media complaining about Jonathan Taylor. And 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 again, that's that's fine if you have Jonathan Taylor, but this is the situation. They're going with multiple guys. It's the equivalent of me me owning Cam Akers and complaining. You know what it is. They're not playing these guys. Mm. They're not some of them are just not gonna play. Like you gotta move on. Derrick Henry, mm. 19 carries, 103 yards, so he did go over his total. Michael Pittman, 
Seven for 101. Maybe this is a breakout game for him. We'll see. Also yeah. 21 rushing yards. And Jonu Smith, two receptions, 14 receiving yards. He actually had a rushing touchdown, so about eight, nine fantasy points. I suppose for a tight end, uh, that's like an acceptable number, I, I suppose, if you ended up starting it, him. It's not so, great. But I'll, yeah. All, all the leagues that I played in last night, ironically, I didn't have uh, no, no points for me, no points against me. So I would say, Joe, uh, no one probably played Rivers. I doubt anyone played Tannehill. Maybe Hines, I don't know, as a flex. Henry's going to go down as a disappointment in fantasy. In reality, can't complain with 100 yards, but that's going to be a disappointment for fantasy, only getting 10 points from him. And so I guess Michael Pippen is the only one that sort of outperformed what, what he should have. Hines did too, but I don't know how many people played him. Well, going back to yesterday's props too, Henry went over his 85 and they lost, right? And then we talked about when Rivers went over his, his and they won. And they won, right? Which is the irony, right? So there you go. So, so you can take all those things and crumple them up and throw them out. Uh, Pittman looked great in this game. Uh, in fact, to me, I think that was one of two big fantasy takeaways is that, hey, I think they've already gotten things right here with Pittman. I know a lot of us were excited about him, but injuries kind of slowed him earlier in the season. T.Y. Hilton was back in this game, and that's good from the point of view as a young receiver. Kind of like you saw with Jerry Judy early in the year, too. And there's no Cortland Sutton. It's kind of tough there for the young wide receiver to kind of, you know, get some single coverage, work his way into the offense a little bit and kind of get his feet under him. And I think it's at least helpful to have T.Y. Hilton on the field at the same time. But Pittman looked tremendous in this game. They got him involved in a lot of different ways, too. And going back to the Taylor and the running back situation here, too. I mean, every single run that they gave him was between the tackles. And all I kept thinking about was, can we get this guy in space a little bit? I mean, you see these pitches out there to Hind. You see, even at the goal the short yardage Taylor didn't look great Wilkins didn't either but Taylor was running up against guys and look you can say offensive line you could say and give credit to the Tennessee front as well who played very well in that game uh that I think you know they were able to close up a lot of the holes but still NC Taylor running in space even when he got down to the goal line in that game when they kept getting stuff there how did they get in eventually Naheem Hines on the outside a little pitch to Naheem Hines running out to the left and I think that is my big takeaway fourth and goal on the one they did, but then event, yeah, he got he got stuffed on the and the third down once as well, uh, Jonathan Taylor. But with Hines, I think, yeah, they, oh my god, I just watched it again this morning. They, it's amazing, like how many times did just ever see Jonathan Taylor running into a brick wall, running into a brick wall, and at right. a certain point, hey, let's get this guy going outside the tackles a little bit. Let's well, see if we can kind Joe, of get look, this, dude this, going. Is, this is what we said last year about Montgomery too, though. You know, like I mean, oh, he, by he the way, be. they did somebody brilliantly on Twitter found a, a comp thing where I guess it was from last year's college football where they did an entire thing of the running back that Jonathan Taylor reminds everybody the most of is David Montgomery. That's the comp. And they went through all the things in the comps. And I went, I had like a shudder. It was like Friday 13th or did you get really scared? That's what it was. But Hines, yeah, to me, is a I, was not, I was not a big fan of him coming out, but he played better than I thought I at the start of the season. Um, and the Colts do have a really good offensive line. I think there's one other thing to say, though, here, if you think about that, and I want to circle that fourth and one and second and one and third and one and first and one, whatever it was, but I didn't see that part of the game. Uh, But I will say this. What that should tell you also, Colts should have won by a lot more. And so, look, I mean, I, I can't sit here and say that the Titans deserved or even thought about deserving to win that game. Yes, they gave some of it away on special teams. But Colts get three more inches. I mean, they win that game, what, 40 to 17 or whatever it was. So uh, just a, a good win for Indianapolis. And honestly, a team I'll fade down the stretch. I, I don't think that they're very good either. 
But the the Titans, to me, uh, have been one of the more overrated teams at the start of the season. They're still very one-dimensional. They had no business being big favorites in a lot of the games that they didn't cover. And and I and I think moving forward, that's the way that um, that I'll go with it. I, I don't know that I'd fade Tennessee, but I definitely will fade the Colts. I'm not a, a big believer in Rivers. And I think that if they go against a prolific quarterback, someone who can actually attack the ball down the field and not have to constantly worry about giving the ball to Henry all the time. I think that they will go down. I don't think they'll get uh, further this year. All right. Uh, we got to take a quick break here on the show. We got the news update coming up next. And then immediately after that, we dive into a little fantasy jeopardy in honor of Alex Trebek. Rest in peace. Uh, we're going to have that coming up next. So make sure you stay tuned. Stay on the grid. This is fantasy sports today. I'm Craig Mish. And along with Joe Pizapia, we got you covered here every day until 2 o'clock Eastern. So make sure you stay on that grid. We'll be right back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Earlier this week, we lost an icon in television and in game show television when Alex Trebek passed away. And so we thought here on this Friday, we'd play a little fantasy Jeopardy and honor him here on the show. And Joe, for me, uh, look, I really enjoyed watching Jeopardy through the years. I was not someone that set my time or my clock to it where I'd sit down and watch it. But I think that we've all had our like period of time where Maybe we watched for a week or two and then stopped and then went back and, and watched again. But uh, in, in terms of game shows, uh, Alex Trebek, if, if there was a Mount Rushmore, Joe, of game shows, oh, I, yeah. I think at this point it's safe to say Alex Trebek is on that Mount Rushmore. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, and it's great to celebrate intelligence on a game show, too. I mean, far often nowadays with game shows, right, people are basically getting, you know, thrown into things of slime or falling through floors and stuff like that, trying to answer questions about, I don't know, who the floor is, is in the, lava, you know, which, well, the floor is lava and who the latest Kardashian was dating. Like, who cares? Like, this is like questions about like 18th century French literature. Yes, good. Let's celebrate smart people. What a wonderful thing to do. I also found it curious, and I mentioned this on Twitter when Alex Trebek passed away. Did anybody else think it was curious that Sean Connery and Alex Trebek both passed away within a week of each other? And I don't know about you. I was a big fan of that Saturday Night Live sketch of those two. Me too. Uh, where, where, you know, when, when he was playing Sean Connery, I think it was, uh, oh God, was Daryl Hammond played Sean Connery and then Alex Trebek obviously played by Will Ferrell. Their interactions were some of the greatest, I think, Saturday Night Live moments ever. And I just thought it was a really strange thing. And it seemed like nobody was mentioning it. So I felt like, well, I'm going to put this out there if nobody else is mentioning it. But uh, all jokes aside, this is, a, a, a again, a, a great loss here, unfortunately, for the uh, the television world, but also for the intellectual world, too. So I think that's kind of the best way to look at it. And I heard a rumor that LeVar Burton might be one of the possible replacements for Alex Trebek. And I think that would be a wonderful guy to take over. Uh, a great guy. And my television debut as a child by the way, was uh, with uh, <clears throat> LeVar Burton. Fun fact about me. Wow. See, you learn something new that. every day. I was on the Reading Rainbow, my friend. Not once, but twice. That's right. Me wow. And me go together. Get a repeat yeah. appearance on there. Huh? Child star. Ooh. Take a good look. This is what happens. Hard living of child stars. Take a good hard look, everybody out there. 
Yeah, you end up drafting Kareem Hunt after 40 years. All right. <laughs> hey, that worked Let, out well. <laughs> well, that 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 is one that did for sure. Okay, so fantasy jeopardy. Let's hit. Let's uh, let's go through it here, Joe. Do you want to ask the questions? Or you want me to do it? I think this is this is, this feels like your baby, but I'm happy to do it. We didn't decide. It I just did, shows I you our great preparation before the show. We have not decided. Yes, gonna, stunning prepper. I I think you are. Um, I think you are the host. You know, you have the better. I'm more voice, of the game the show type. Host. I am more of the the, you are. the, the game show ish. Type. I'm more the wacky yeah. contestant i think that right I, I feel i think that's accurate all right so we just More made a decision gravity. right here on the middle of the show on the fly live, live yeah. tv it's great stuff mm-hmm. okay so here we go fantasy jeopardy question number one slide number <laughs> over the last three weeks this wide receiver has 30 targets sixth most overall do we have a buzzer mm-hmm. well that's that's a lot. Well, I don't think I need to buzz. I'm the only contestant. So, uh, you know, that's, that's good. Say, uh, well, well, either way, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to win and lose simultaneously. By the way, I I, I love the, the game show host voice. That was tremendous. You missed your calling. You really should have gone back and done more of that. But anyway, the answer to this question, and again, I have to phrase it in the form of a question, is who is Jacoby right. Myers? That's right, everybody. Can you believe it? Jacoby Myers of the New England Patriots has 30 targets over the last three weeks. And we're talking elite level. This is the guys like we talk about Diggs being the top guy overall in the year. We talk about uh, Devontae Adams. We talk about the Julio Jones, the DK Metcalf, all these elite level wide receivers. Well, Jacoby Myers is right in that conversation right now in terms of target volume. Now, he's not there in terms of talent, but he might be the only guy on the Patriots who's able to make a play. He's the fastest guy on the team. And in this day and age, you kind of need that. And I think at least last week, too, against the Jets, you saw him really start to get comfortable in that offense. The Patriots offense has been one of the more intricate over time and has given a lot of young players a lot of difficulty over the years. Just look at some of the names that have not worked out. So this is really exciting from a long-term standpoint if you have Jacoby Myers, but even a short-term standpoint, if you're looking for somebody that you think, hey, I can believe in this guy, let's see what he does. Even against a tough matchup against Baltimore Ravens this week, Craig, I think I would put Jacoby Myers in my lineup as a wide receiver three. He's certainly shown you that he can perform. Yeah, this is one of those situations where I don't think it's as much about the player as it is about the player who's throwing to him. And and that's sometimes what fantasy is about. New quarterbacks come in, old quarterbacks come back, they find a favorite target, they zone in on that guy. And you know what? Who knows? If it was Stidham, we could be talking about Nikhil Harry, right? And who was the Maybe. other one? Bird, the other wide receiver? We could have been talking Bird. about him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it could have been. It just so happens Cam Newton likes throwing to this guy Myers. And so I don't know that it's necessarily about him, but if it's this individual player that he's targeting so much, I think you have to keep that in mind. I'm shocked I have him in a dynasty league. I couldn't believe it. The other day I went on, I'm like, wow, I actually have this guy? I don't even know what I've been doing all year. So anyway, uh, yeah, that that is a very, very good one here to see 30 targets. That is quite a bit from anyone in, in football, let alone mm-hmm. a player that's not being started in a lot of leagues. All right, here we go. Question two. There are only two running backs averaging over 100 rushing yards per game in 2020. That is a staggering, staggering number. Boy, where did all the good running backs go? Two guys total? Wow. Two. Yeah. I mean, you were just talking about this the other day, so I had to go and figure it out because you made the statement, and therefore I went and researched it because I'm a dork like that. And tried to find out, well, who is it? And the answer, who is Derrick Henry and who is Dalvin Cook? Cook, obviously, with 122.5 and Derrick Henry with 105.4. But just for, you know, just to kind of give you an idea, too, 
I mean, typically this is not the case. Usually you have a few, a handful at least of guys. And yes, there's been a lot of injuries to the elite running backs over time. But in 2012, Alfred Morris, Adrian Peterson, and again in 2016, Le'Veon Bell and Ezekiel Elliott. But over the last couple of years, really hasn't been nearly as many, many as you thought that are getting over 100 yards on average. And obviously Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry are the focal points of the offense. And I think right now you could certainly make the argument if you're going to take a fantasy running back next year, these are the two guys. This might be the one and two because they are the focal point of their offense. And there's not a lot of other running backs that are like that at this stage and also have, I would also say, kind of uh, an obvious uh, a path to repeating the 2020 success that they've had. And I think that's also something where you're looking at changes of quarterbacks and potential teams and all that stuff going on. We shall see. But Cook and Henry have been those guys. But seriously, right now it is kind of sad that we feel like, wow, there's only two right now that are even in that conversation. Yeah, to think that only two running backs would rush for like 13, 1400 yards. I don't know that we'll get five guys rushing for a thousand this year. It is, it's been tough. And, and I don't know where we're going to be next year, but I suppose it is all about health. And truthfully, Henry has been the healthiest running back in the NFL this season and the most consistent. And Cook has been the wild card, although he, of course, missed one game as well, but he's been healthy for the most part. All right, here we go. Question three. This running back has had more targets than any other in the slot this season. All right, so this running back has had more targets, let's think about this, than any other in the slot. Okay? Mm, and, yeah. So, mm. Joe, this is not one that I think anybody would get at all, and Alex normally <laughs> would just be looking at everybody with that very disappointed face. <laughs> I, Again, I, I love I, I the if You could have given me 10 guesses. I wouldn't have got this. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have either. And I think the fun of this is also, too, is, you know, I should give you a wrong answer just so you could look and do that Alex Trebek thing where he looks at the person and goes, no, I'm sorry. It was uh, right. it was sorry. Eastern sorry. Germany. East right. Germany. I always love how he said it the second time. So I'll give you the, the, the answer I'm sure everybody would guess, right? I'll say... Who is Alvin Kamara? And you could say, right. go ahead. You do right. Go ahead. You do the disappointing Ooh. voice. No, I'm sorry, Ooh, Joe. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Sorry. That's in connect. It is going to be uh, J.D. McKissick. McKissick, Washington. McKissick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I love that. I mean, I, I mean, embarrassing people are really smart. I think it was very good. Yeah, there's a, there's a sort of disappointment in, like, you know, really – Really, you came all the way this far to Jeopardy and you got that wrong. I love that. I think right. whoever takes over needs to keep that. Right. And these are all really that. smart people. And I also love when the smart people have to answer the sports questions and you can see they're like, you know, who led the right. you know major leagues in home runs this year? And they were like, uh, Tom Brady. And then, you know, they don't know that's always my favorite too. But yeah, JD McKissick. And I think this is really worth uh, pointing out too because uh, JD McKissick also is going to have. Alex Smith throwing the ball this week. And if you looked at what happened last week in terms of the amount of targets, he got a ton last week from Alex Smith. And I think this is a trend that continues. He's very cheap on Fandle. We'll talk to him a little bit more later in the show. But this is something to keep in mind here going forward, That especially with Gibson uh, still struggling to, uh, to get healthy, that McKissick is a guy you can start as a flex this week in PPR leagues. All right, and finally, let's close it out. Our final question here on Fantasy Jeopardy for this Friday. This wide receiver has five straight games with 50 yards or more. 50 yards. Ding, 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 ding. Yards. 50 yards or more. Who is uh, it? Craig, who is T. Higgins? That's right. 
T. Higgins, our boy, right here on the show. We keep talking about how consistent this dude, and, and he's been so consistent. That's a 25-4-13 and a touchdown line. And by the way, four of those games, over 70 yards, okay? So this guy has been as right as rain, even in tough matchups, even in moments where the Bengals didn't look as good as they could have in certain games. T. Higgins is scoring you fantasy points. And I think this is great because there was so much attention coming into this year on this wide receiver class of rookies. All the Judy talk, all the Lamb talk, Jalen Rager, all these guys, even Pittman, I feel like, got more play than this guy. T. Higgins was like the forgotten guy. And, you know, a lot of us thought that A.J. Green had an opportunity at least to bounce back and it was cheap enough to find out. He is a distant memory now. It's about Tyler Boyd. It's about T. Higgins. And I think it's really exciting to see this connection that the two of them seem to have found. And I think even in this matchup against Pittsburgh, you could start him this week because he has proven, even in tough matchups, he can find you a bunch of fantasy points and get you double digits in PPR. Yeah, I, I still think Lamb is the overall best, but you're right. I Higgins agree. is number two without question. And he just happens to have a better quarterback playing right now, no doubt. All right, start sit coming up next. Are we really doing Buccaneers running backs again? I can't believe it. We are. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia coming up. A little DFS action and we're going to preview week 10 in the NFL. So make sure you stay on the grid for that. That's coming up in 30 minutes. If you're watching us on demand on YouTube, this is a playlist essentially. Just continue to hit play. Watch us all day long, all night long, however you watch, however you consume our show. Just continue to do it. After that, Howard Bender will be on the program. We'll go through some of our early leans in the Super Contest at the Westgate following a 2-3 and three last week, trying to go 3-2, and 4-1, and one, or better yet, even 5-0 and oh this week. But before we get to all that, it is Friday. It is start and sit. It is always fun to go through these names, Joe. It is never fun to start with the Buccaneers running backs. And yet, that's where you want to start this show today. Unbelievable. Can't do it. It's not Don't where I want to start. It's where we have to start because the drama continues. No, it's on. It, look, I don't know what's going to end first. The Tampa Bay running back situation or the walking dead. I'm not sure. One of them is going to end eventually at some point, And both of them have clearly gone off the rails. But last week, it was an all-time low in terms of rushing attempts from an NFL team by the Buccaneers. If you think there isn't going to be some kind of a, a, a correction there, then I think everybody's crazy. Now, I don't know who it's going to be. Nobody knows who it's going to be. Once again, if you got to put your money on somebody, you put your money on the person who's getting more snaps because they're going to be on the field more to touch the ball more. So that's just the easy, lazy fantasy logic. But that's all any of us have at this moment. That's it. That's all we have. So I will start Leonard Fournette. I will sit Ronald Jones if I had both of them. If I had one of them, I would probably take a shot because I'm pretty sure you're going to get a massive correction. Everybody's going to go back and look, we can't do this again. We can't not run the football more. We got to go out there, establish the run a little bit, get the play action going, get Tom Brady back in every into swing and all that stuff. So I'm just telling you right now, there's going to be a correction. I don't think it's going to be a hundred yard game for one of these guys, 
but it's going to be enough to make it worthy of a fantasy RB2, in my opinion. We'll see. Craig can make fun of me on Monday if I'm wrong. And I expect him to if I am. I will take all the heat. J.D. McKissick, we just talked about this guy. I think this guy is a start against Detroit. I love him as a flex and a full-point PPR and a standard eh, less thrilling because you don't know what kind of touchdown equity he's got. Touchdown equity is what Zach Moss has, and I think there's going to be opportunities for him in Arizona. He's a start for me. I don't know what I'm doing with Daryl Henderson. He's had some health issues this week, too, even after the bye. So for me, he would be a sit against Seattle. They're so bad against wide receivers. I think Jared Goff's just going to throw the ball all over the place anyway. Uh, Philip Lindsay against Las Vegas. I think it's a desperation start. Wayne Gallman, same thing against Philly. I think it's start him if you absolutely had to. And Duke Johnson against Cleveland. I see a lot of people wanting to do that. I just don't think it's a good idea. It just feels like, you know, once again, Houston is probably just going to throw the ball and overcompensate that way. I'm sure Duke Johnson will have some moments, but you could see Buddy Howell. You could see somebody else you're not even thinking about, or you could see a lot of trick plays and other things to kind of move the football around, including Deshaun Watson running a little bit more in this game. You could absolutely see that at a couple moments, some designed runs perhaps for Deshaun. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm trying to avoid Duke Johnson. How about you, Craig? What do you look at this list? Who's your starts and who's your sits? Yeah, I, I think we we honestly see a lot of it the same way. I, I guess I'm wondering your reasoning on Lindsay. Like, how is it possible that I could have two better starts and maybe a flex than Lindsay at running back? I feel like I'd have to be really lucky to have that. No, like, look, I, 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 I like I, Lindsay. It's just it's it's always it's not liking him or not. Is. It's just what are my options, Joe? On the, no, the you're in right. fantasy football, twelve team league. If I'm looking at my team, is it possible I can have two guys better than him? I guess. Is it possible I can have two guys and a flex better? I I just don't think so. Well, I think that's what it is. I think it comes down to the flex position and looking at guys like him or looking at guys like, I don't know, Marvin Jones. And I think those are the kind of conversation you have to ask yourself. And what I always tell people is this, you know, if you're in a standard league or a half point PPR, always lean towards the running back because you want the guaranteed touches because wide receivers can put up a big fat zero sometimes <laughs> or in that same conversation of wide receiver fours. There's just games where all of a sudden they're just not part of the game plan or things just don't go their way or targets don't come. But in terms of running backs, you know, at least they're going to touch the football. So there's always upside in the full point PPR. I tend to lean towards the wide receiver. Why? Because you think then there's a little bit higher of a ceiling there because of the potential to get some more targets. So a lot of it comes to the individuals that you have to choose from, but I'm with you. Lindsay's a guy that I think you are starting this week. But I don't know how confident you are. And look, that's just kind of where we are in 2020. Yep, for sure. All right, let's take a look at wide receivers. And I am thrilled to be here on a day that a graphic does not have Nelson Aguilar's name on it. We made it. Mm. We finally got there. Here we are. Tyler Boyd at Pittsburgh this week. Cincinnati takes on uh, the Steelers. Looks like Big Ben will play. Fulgham and Rieger both are playing at the Giants. Jarvis Landry, primary receiver. It would appear against Houston, although... It's it's still a little bit unclear what Cleveland's trying to do there. Marvin Jones against Washington. He came up big last week without having Kenny Galladay there. Marquise Brown at New England's been very up and down. It really hasn't had many good games this year. John Brown against Arizona. And then DJ Shark of Jacksonville coming off his great game last week against, uh, who was it against? Jacksonville. It was they, against Houston. Against Houston. Houston, there you go. And he's at Green Bay this mm-hmm. week. Shark obviously uh, put his best game together maybe in two years last week. So, yeah. Well, uh, look, Shark, of course you're going to start. Listen, it's the same It's the same discussion as having the Cam Newton discussion. If this guy, Luton, decides Shark is his guy, you got to play him. I can't say that I know that that's going to work with certain, but it definitely looks like he is better for Shark than, 
than Minshew was for Shark, that's for sure. He's a start for me for sure. Marvin Jones is a guaranteed start for me for sure. Tyler Boyd, I think you got to start because I think, as you mentioned earlier in the show, green is done, there's nothing. So um, beyond that, I could I could throw some darts at, at the other guys. I don't love the Philly situation. And John Brown, uh, I don't. I mean, I guess Arizona's not doing real healthy well. Are John they? Brown, health, yeah. healthy. Look, healthy John All Brown right, is you, always you, the start. You tell me. Healthy John Brown is a start, uh, but I will take the other end with the DJ Shark thing, and I missed DJ Shark, but not this week. Not against Jair Alexander, the number one cornerback in the league so far, great out of PFF. That is not a good matchup for him. Uh, they're going to take him away, and uh, they're going to try to run the football here as much as they can, too. Plus, there might be some weather issues in this game with some higher winds, so I don't know how Jake Luton's going to react with that either. Aaron Rodgers is used to throwing the ball in the wind. I don't know if Jake Luton necessarily is in Green Bay. What's the, uh, what, is, what is the wind supposed to be? Uh, somewhere in the Any 20s, idea? I think, as of right now. Yeah, All so right. we'll see. Yeah. Again, that could change over the next 24, 48 hours. However, it's more the cornerback play that I'm really concerned of. I think when you're going against one of the top corners in the league and you have a rookie quarterback making his second start, I know it's frustrating because a lot of people had DJ Shark, and last week he was on their bench, and now this week you're going to want to put him in there. But I look at most of the guys on this list, and I actually think most of them are better plays. I think John Brown is a better play. I even think to a certain extent, uh, depending on what Stafford's situation is, that I think Marvin Jones is actually a better play as well. Now, with the Philly guys, I think you're just playing for the touchdown. You're hoping for that. It's good to see Jalen Rager starting to at least get targets in the end zone and targets in the red zone area. I think that is very encouraging for his value. Fulgham's been pretty good. You could throw on the Giants. That's one thing that I think you can do. But looking at the wide receiver list uh, again, Tyler Boyd, I know it's a tough matchup. You can't sit this guy. Just like T. Higgins. You got to play these guys. I know it's a tough matchup. But Joe Burrow has risen to the occasion most of the time. Hey, it was a tough matchup a couple weeks ago against Indianapolis, too. And guess what? Those guys all showed up and had good fantasy days. So for me, I, I think you just play your best guys at this point in time. But DJ Shark is that one guy that I think is a trap this week. And we'll see if he can overcome a bad circumstance. But there's a lot of negative circumstance right now, including that matchup at the cornerback position there that he's going to have to overcome, which I think is asking a lot of him in this week. Yep, no doubt. All right, let's go over to tight ends. Not easy to find these guys on the waiver wire. Maybe somebody cut Evan Engram. He takes on Philadelphia this week. Eric Ebron. Absolutely more part of their offense now. Last five mm -hmm. weeks, he seems to get targeted a lot more. You take on Cincinnati, not a great defense there. Uh, Rams has been a coin flip as far as the tight ends are concerned. A few weeks ago, it looked like Higby was going to be the guy. Now Everett all of a sudden seems like he's the guy. Here's the truth. Everett is never the guy with the Rams. It's just he pops in and out every once in a while. And and I would say, is it fair to say Joe Higby's been a disappointment? I know that he was a sleeper. Mm -hmm. on oh, absolutely. I think he's been a huge disappointment. You know, and, and, and all the guys that we talked about on this show on tight end, Noah Fant, Hawkinson, um, how much love Johnu Smith have I had going into this season? All those guys have been better than Higby. I'm sorry. I mean, I know some have had some injury issues and stuff like that, but it's not even close. Um, and I think Higby has been. And I think for me, I look at Ingram and Ebron. Those are two guys I feel really good about starting. And everyone this week is looking at streaming potentially Everett or Tyler Higby. And I just want to say it's not something you you shouldn't do or can't do. But it's something you have to account for because there's absolutely the opportunity for a big fat goose egg with both of these guys because one of them ends up being good in this matchup. And it's a really good matchup against Seattle where you would imagine you're going to continue to expose that bad secondary that you throw all day on this team. But I think people are getting a little again, not understanding there's some risk there and a little bit more risk than people realize. So if you're looking at tight ends right there, I'd feel much better about Ingram. I feel much better about Ebron. I feel much better 
you know, some of those other tight ends that are right on that bubble necessarily than I do. And I, and I know it's a tough week too, in terms of some of the tight ends you're missing. So you're trying to stream somebody just understand when you build your lineup, understand that there's absolutely a chance that a guy like Higby or a guy like Everett could get nothing, even though the matchup is good and make sure you're building a higher floor in your lineup with other players at wide receiver at running back. If you can do that. All right, let's close it out with the quarterbacks and start off with Drew Brees against San Francisco. Brees has been a borderline QB1 most of the season. Jared Goff, I tried to snag on the waiver wire this week, so that tells you how I feel about him. I think he's in line for a big week for sure against Seattle. Joe Burrow at Pittsburgh, he is a no for me. I think he could struggle. And then Teddy Bridgewater, interesting against Tampa Bay. Teddy Bridgewater has basically had two bad games out of nine this season. So, I mean, he's pretty much been good to start almost every week. Tampa Bay defense is supposedly good. We did not see that last week, Joe. Yeah, we did not. Uh, I definitely would start Drew Brees in the Dome. I, I think you have to with Michael Thomas back against San Francisco, and that secondary is really depleted, too. They have not been good. I mean, just look what happened to them against Green Bay a couple weeks ago. Yikes, that was an ugly game there against the Packers. And Drew Brees, I think, has been waiting very long to get Michael Thomas healthy and back on the field. Uh, Jared Goff, it's too good of a matchup not to start him or stream him this week. If he was on the waiver wire, if you did snag him, I would definitely start Jared Goff. And everybody knows... My lack of confidence in the Rams, but still, I think there's just too much good data for you not to start Jared Goff. Joe Burrow, I'm on the fence with. It is a tough matchup, but I look at some of the other tough matchups he's had against defenses that he should have theoretically struggled against. And for the most part, he's performed pretty well against those. So I think in your second quarterback in Superflex, I think you roll Joe Burrow out and try not to get too fancy with that. Uh, And Teddy Bridgewater, this is a tough one because Teddy B has been really good this year. We know that. He's been really solid. He's outperformed expectations. But he's in a bad spot here against the Bucs defense that just got embarrassed on national television. That is my one concern. So I guess here's the question for you. If you had Bridgewater and you had Burrow and only one spot for one of them, which guy would you be starting this week? Would you be starting Bridgewater against the Bucks revenge tour? Or you can start Joe Burrow against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense that we all know this year has been one of the best, if not the best, in the NFL. Yeah, Bridgewater for sure at home. That, that'd be the way that I would go. Okay. Yeah. I, I'll, I think I'll, it's go, a, I'll think... go recency bias. I'll go recency bias. <laughs> short week for Tampa Bay. Home game. Uh, mm-hmm. look, I saw Burrow play against the Bengal, or the the Ravens, and it was ugly. Yeah, and and, and yeah. he may be better since then. And, and he may have learned a lot since then. But if it's anything mm-hmm. like that, that was one of the worst fantasy days I've seen. I think he had 100 yards passing, three interceptions. So yeah, but he had it, 300 against the Colts. That's the thing. You know, you start to say, he okay, did. maybe he's getting more comfortable. But look, it's definitely uh, going to be fun to watch. And if he goes in there and beats the Steelers, oh, man, Pittsburgh Steelers Nation oh, is sure. not going to be happy. <laughs> I also think Pittsburgh and I also think Pittsburgh and Baltimore see Cincinnati a lot, scout Cincinnati a lot, a right. lot easier to do than Indianapolis, only seeing them once every two or three years. Sure. So I, I think they kind of know. But again, uh, coming up next, uh, Joe's got his DFS plays of the week in terms of value. And then Jim Sanis will join us and talk about those as well. So make sure you stay on the grid. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All 
FanDuel Sportsbook is the place to be to bet on the games this weekend. And, of course, the DFS site is the place to place all of your lineups in this weekend. I know I will be involved as well. Joe will also have a few lineups in, I'm sure. And I don't know how many lineups. I don't think I've ever asked you that question, Joe, how many lineups you usually play on a Sunday. I suppose you can answer that and then go on with your values this week. Well, what a, what a personal question. How many lineups I play? Well, usually I play about half a dozen on FanDuel and then <clears throat> somewhere else, perhaps I might play a little bit as well. But if you're playing on FanDuel this week, uh, I would absolutely be looking for some value at quarterback. There's a ton of quarterbacks you can pay up for, and that's perfectly fine to do that. You can certainly justify Allen Murray. You can justify uh, even Russell Wilson, I'm sure, in this one. But Jared Goff against Seattle in that same game, I think, is something to really understand. Look, it's just any quarterback right now <laughs> against Seattle. You take a shot. You take a shot with the wide receivers, and it becomes a really cost-effective stack when you can add in Cooper Cup and Robert Woods along with that and just kind of run that out there. And I think you can run it in cash and then pay up at running back for guys like Nick Chubb, guys like Kareem Hunt, because running back this week also, not a whole lot of top guys. It's like Kamara, and basically that's it because Cook is on Monday Night Football. Uh, also, if you're looking for a little bit of relief in the running back position too, or at Flex, we talked about J.D. McKissick. Now, this is a half-point PPR, but I think the usage will be enough, especially with Antonio Gibson kind of trending in the wrong direction health-wise. I think you're going to see a ton of McKissick in this game, and if you do, it's going to be good for business. 5.3. He just got to get you 15 points. I mean, honestly, if he has just 10 targets, chances are he's going to fall into something close to that with maybe a little upside for more depending on the usage. Then, of course, Christian Kirk. Look, man, I mean, we keep talking about this guy every week. I hope you're listening. I hope you're starting him. I know I am. I'm trying to get everybody on this bandwagon. The salary still hasn't caught up. It's just 6.3K against Buffalo. The guy has five touchdowns in the last three games. He's been really targeted heavily. And, of course, Eric Ebron in this game against the Cincinnati Bengals defense is not very good. He's got red zone upside. Once again, tight end this week. No Kelsey, right? No Ertz. He's gone. Waller's been mad, right? right? There's no Mark Andrews because of where they're playing on the slate. So Kittle. go down. Yeah, Kittle also got. So what you're going to do, go down, look for somebody like him, or maybe even Taysom Hill at 4.5. That could be a fun play as well. All right. That'll do it for the first hour of Fantasy Sports today here on this Friday. But we got another hour to go, and we're going to cover DFS, some sports betting, and fantasy reality as well. If you stay two minutes, we'll be right back. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.